This morning, we have fashion stylist Jocelyn Garrity speaking with us. Jocelyn lost her mother very tragically to a drunk driver when she was at the very young age of 16 years old. She took a very long journey through recovery through that with the loss of her mom. Um, and in the midst of that, she discovered faith in Jesus Christ and a spiritual community in, uh, through a church in Los Angeles. So through her grieving process, she also discovered her love and passion um, for fashion and the fashion industry. And she's worked for designers such as LF, Jeannie Mai and the Style Network, and Ellen DeGeneres. Jocelyn is now a regular speaker for MAD, Mothers Against Drug Driving, and she, she shares her story of loss and recovered hope whenever possible. And also, I just want to say that due to the sensitive nature of what we'll be talking about today, I just want to note that um, the chaplain's office, the convocation office, and the counseling center are here as resources for you. So if something strikes a chord with you today, I just want to encourage you to reach out um, either directly to the counseling center or come and talk to one of us, and we'd really love to help you as you process through that. Without further ado, please join me in warmly welcoming Jocelyn Garrity. Pepperdine. I've never been here before. It's beautiful, but my hair, I could not go to this school. It's inflating by the second. I can feel it. Some of you have curly hair, and I know that you understand what I'm saying. I'd like for you all to think about your moms. I'd like for you to think of everything she's done for you and how grateful you are for her. And even think of her name. Everyone, I think, on the count of three, why don't we all scream our mom's names? I know you all have one. One, two, three. Perfect, that's perfect. Now I know you're thinking about her. There are tons of things I always loved about my mom. If you show the first photo, you could see that she was beautiful. She was a dork and she was hilarious. And all she ever wanted to do was make me and my two younger brothers happy. So naturally, we had a really good relationship. She would do things like take me shopping on her birthday, which never made me complain. And it always made her really happy as well. My mom was only 19 years older than me, so we were friends first. And I liked it much more that way. I have another photo, and you can tell by this one that she was practically a kid when she had me. I never had to lie to her about what I was doing or where I was going, and I was much closer with her than my friends were with their moms. I even remember telling her about my first kiss. My mom always felt what I felt. She laughed when I laughed, and she cried when I cried. Like my sophomore year of high school, I remember not making the JV, I mean the varsity cheerleading squad, after I was JV cheer captain, and it felt like the most traumatic thing that could ever happen to me. And she understood, and she did everything she could to get me back on the squad. But we shared the good times, too. We were a very smiley and goofy pair. We were always trying to make each other laugh. My mom's worst nightmare was to be a PTA mom or a soccer mom. So she called everyone dude and big dummy. And she liked Lauren Hill and Mace and good-looking men like Josh Demel. And we just had a ton of fun together. I know you guys think that he's cute, too, you girls, actually. My mom and I spent a lot of time in the car, which is ironic now. I was always with her when I was um, working, and my parents were separated. And I remember that I was always trying to make her laugh. And there was a song by the Pussycat Dolls, I don't know if you've ever heard it, called Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was Hot Like Me. It's a really good song. And, and I remember the first time it came on, I did like this silly little dance in the car, and it cracked her up. And every time that song came on, she would make me do it. And she would even have us go to her friends' houses, and when we were there, she would have them download or buy the song so that I could do this little dance that no one ever thought was funny, but it made her laugh every single time, so I always did it. My mom was a beautiful woman, as you saw. 
She was never failing to brag about how perfect she thought I was or how perfect she thought my younger brothers were, even though I was a total hot mess, 16-year-old girl. I mean, what, what do you expect? She always told everyone that she thought I was perfect, and she was always so proud of me, and I always tried to do everything I could to keep her proud. On March 31st, 2007, a little over four years ago, was the last time that I saw my mom. And I remember that day more vividly than I remember driving here this morning. I got to see my mom that day. I was always borrowing her things, and I was with my dad, and I had her flat iron. She wanted, and I said, if you bring over your Uggs, I'll give you your flat iron. So she came over, and I remember she looked beautiful. I remember she looked so happy. I remember watching her drive away in her car like it was an old-fashioned movie, in black and white and in slow motion. After that, I went on with my normal day. I went shopping with some friends for this 80s or 70s-themed birthday party I was going to that night. And I called my mom probably five times just while I was shopping, because we were always talking, and I didn't know what people wore then, so I wanted her advice. After the, after the beach, I went home, and my dad took me to work, and he told me to call my mom to have her come pick me up. But of course, I figured, you know, parents are always on your schedule, so I'll just call her when I get off. I got off around 7, and I called her, but she didn't answer. She lived about a mile and a half from where I worked, so I just started walking to her house, and I'd call and leave a voicemail until they hung up, and I'd call and leave a voicemail until they hung up, and I just did that the entire walk. And when I finally got to her place, her boyfriend's truck was outside, so I assumed they'd be home because they never took her car anywhere. But when I went in, no one was there. And I remember not thinking twice about it, but wanting to wait outside for my friend for 15 minutes because it just didn't feel right. On the, way to my, on the way to the party, we stopped at my dad's house to get these huge heart pink earrings that I thought would complete my outfit for the night. And when I went in, my dad told me that my mom had been in a car accident and that he didn't know anything but to keep my phone close. Initially, when he said that, I didn't really think twice about it. My mom was always getting in car accidents. It was her second one that month, or that year, and it was the end of March, so I kind of shrugged it off. But when I got in the car, I didn't feel right, and I remember my friend telling me I should stay at home, and I just said, no, I just want to go be with my friends. The birthday party was a few blocks from my house, and it took 15 minutes for my dad to call and say that we had to go to the UCLA Medical Center. I told him I wasn't going to wait for him and that I would have my friend drive me. When we were pulling into the parking lot about 15, 20 minutes later, my dad called to see where I was. I told him, and he said he was a few streets behind me. I begged him to tell me what was going on, afraid that she had broken a leg or a foot or not knowing what was going on, but I just could tell that something wasn't right. After I begged and begged, he finally said two words I'll never forget. She died. And I remember jumping out of the car and running around the hospital trying to find the entrance to the emergency room. And when I finally got in and got through the metal detectors, I saw my mom's only sister on the phone bawling. And she just looked at me and said, she's gone. I remember in that, movie, in that moment falling and screaming like it was a dramatic movie and having everyone staring at me and not caring that people were staring at me. I was quickly taken to the room where my beautiful and lifeless mother lay after I'd seen her so vibrant and full of energy just that morning. And I remember taking her hands in mine and screaming mom over and over again until I couldn't handle it anymore. And I sat in the hallway with the rest of my family. And I can promise you that night felt like the longest night of my life. It wasn't until I was leaving that the police officers that were in the emergency room pulled me aside and told me that this wasn't a normal car accident and it wasn't my mom's fault. But there had been an 18-year-old girl that night that had gotten too drunk and at 6.30 had proceeded to crash into my mom, killing her instantly. It was also when I was leaving that the nurses gave me a bag of the clothes my mom were wearing, and I honestly didn't even open that bag until a year after she died. When I got home, my dad's parents and his sister and his girlfriend were there, and I remember sitting on the couch with my grandpa crying until I finally went to sleep. And that day, March 31st, 2007, ties with April 1st, 2007 as the worst days of my life. The last day with my mom and the first without her.
The next morning, I had to wake up and sit on the couch with my dad and explain to my two younger brothers, who were 6 and 11 at the time, that our mom was gone forever. That one girl had made one bad decision, and we were going to have to suffer the consequences of that decision for the rest of our lives. And I remember looking at their adorable little munchkin faces, struggling with the concept of death, and I realized that my life was about to change much more dramatically than I could imagine. And that my role as big sister had just gotten much more important. After that, I proceeded to do everything. I packed up my mom's apartment a week after she died and fought with her family over who gets the towels and the couch and the pajamas. And I planned the funeral. I picked out what she was going to be wearing, where she was going to be buried, how many motorcycles are going to drive next to her casket on the way to the cemetery. The details are endless, but I did it all. I even managed to give a eulogy the day of the funeral without shedding a tear. Granted, I fell apart at the wake. The only tear that I shed the day that they buried my mom was uh, when I threw a flower onto her casket. But since that day, I've cried a lot more than that. Because my mom was my best friend, one that I don't get to enjoy anymore because one girl made a bad decision. And I'm not here to preach to you guys today about drinking and driving. That's not why I'm here. But I will take the moment to say that if any of you have ever gotten close to drinking and driving, I hope that you'll remember this story and hope you'll remember me and my crazy hair and that sad day um, when I came and told you about my mom and you know the consequences of one bad decision. And it's crazy because I never, ever wanted to do public speaking. That wasn't really a dream of mine. Um, I never thought that I would be here speaking to Pepperdine's Chapel about what happened to me. Until a few years ago, I had met a friend who t spent his life telling people his story and trying to inspire people to make better decisions because of the decisions that he had made. And I just figured, you know, I have a story that can maybe do something. I should look into that. So I called... Mothers Against Drug Driving, and I talked to the representative about the opportunities, and they have a panel, um, a DUI victim panel, that it's held five times a month in downtown LA to about 200 first-time DUI offenders, which adds up to a lot of first-time DUI offenders a month. So I had to go to it, and I had to hear the stories, and I had to hear a woman explain how she lost both of her sons in a car accident to a drunk driver, and I had to hear um, a woman talk about how she lost her sister to a drunk driver, what was cra crazy about that one is the car accident she'd lost her sister to, I had gone to high school with another girl that was in that car, which made me see that drinking and driving is even bigger than I imagined, that I totally forgot, not forgot, but I didn't even realize how much it impacts everything, the fact that I knew someone. So the first time I spoke, I was so nervous. I was so, so nervous. And there was a scripture that I recite to myself every time I speak that I'm reciting myself right now, and it's Joshua 1.9, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that first time I spoke, I remember I'd never felt so connected with God in my entire life than when I stepped up and I was just like, I don't really know if anyone is listening to me. I never really know. All I can do is get up there and share my story and pray that there's one person in the room and one person in this room that is listening and that will never drink and drive again because of the situations that I've been put in. And there have been times where God has been able to show me what has happened from my, from my speaking. I spoke at a high school, at Burbank High School, uh, two years ago. And afterwards, a girl came up to me, and she was bawling, and she confessed that she drinks and drives all the time. And that she has the same relationship with her mom that I just explained to you guys, and that I explained to her school that I had. And she'd been in an accident a few months before, and that didn't even impact her. But learning that someone could lose the kind of relationship she has with her mom helped her realize that she shouldn't drink and drive anymore. But there was another time I was at the Grove, which is a shopping center in um, LA. This guy came up to me with his daughter and explained that he had been in the class the week before that I had that spoken at. 
um, and he recognized me. And he said that all he was thinking of was his adorable little four-year-old girl that was with him and how he couldn't ever imagine what he would do if someone gotten, if something had happened to her because someone was drinking and driving or what he would do if, you know, if he had to even think of what if he got into an accident from drinking and driving and didn't get to be with his daughter. And because of that relationship, because of my relationship with my mom, he wasn't going to drink and drive again. And my favorite experience that I've had is I was able to speak at a Navy base a few hours up north um, a few months ago. And I got so excited. I had like a red, white, and blue jacket that I wore. And I felt so embarrassed when I got there because they were all in camouflage. And it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't how I pictured it to be. And I wish I would, was wearing something else. But still, I'm sitting here looking, I was sitting there looking at 300 Navy men and Navy women and sharing my story. And it was insane to me because they were crying. I was just thinking, you guys are like trained to like kill people, kind of. And I'm up here telling you my story, and you're crying, and that was just insane. And I was talking to the lieutenant after, and I found out that their problem isn't even drinking and driving, it's drinking and flying, which I didn't even know existed as a problem. So I was grateful that I was able to be there and tell them that that wasn't really a good idea. Um, there's really only a few reasons that I do what I do, that I share my story. The biggest one is to keep my mom proud. The biggest one is to make her life worth it. Because her life, was, her life is gone, and the girl who killed my mom, she's like 23 now, and her life has changed forever. And I've always looked at it as, it's not worth it for my mom's life to be gone, and for that girl's life to be ruined, and for me to sit at home and cry every day, and be upset about what happened. My mom's mom, my abuela, she has not moved on very well. It's been four years, and she has a shrine of pictures of my mom in her room, and she's just depressed every day, and she hasn't really done anything with her life. And I don't think that that's fair. I don't think that's fair to my mom and who she was, and I don't think that's fair to my, my abuela and who she could be and what she could do for people. So I've never wanted to be the victim. I've never wanted to let that be how, how I move on. And it's weird to say, but I'm pretty lucky in a way, um, because a year and a half before my mom was killed, I started going to a church called Mosaic in downtown. I don't know if any of you have heard of it. It's pretty awesome. And when I first started going, I was agnostic, and I didn't really go to church. Um, but somehow God got me there, and somehow I had conversations with a woman, and the, year, a year, the march before my mom was killed, I became a follower of Jesus. Um, and I was able to be in this community of people who just would love, just love like I've never experienced love. And I can't imagine what my life would be like, and I can't imagine what going through the loss of my mom would be like without them. Because when my mom died, I had texted one person on the way back from the hospital, and I turned off my phone. And the next morning, people were coming from my church to take me to lunch, and people were taking me to church that night and taking me into the basement of my church, which is held in a nightclub in downtown. Um, and there was like 20 people in the basement that just wanted to pray with me and just wanted to pray for me and just make sure that I was okay and see how I was doing, like within 24 hours of my mom dying. And every day people would bring us food and every day people would pray for us and come and just be with us. And I couldn't imagine what I would have done without, without having them, without having that community of people around me that loved me, without having my church. And I don't really have the same relationship that some of my friends have with God. I have a friend who will tell me these stories of how she's driving and she's about to get to a car accident and then she'll hear God say, look up, you're about to get in a car accident. And she looks up and she dodges it. I've never experienced God in that way. I think that's really awesome and I wish I could, but I haven't. But I think that I can see God in my life when I look at 
the things that I've been through and how badly I could have gone and the direction I could have gone on if I had been like my grandma and if I had just decided to be sad every day or if I had been um, angry and I go to the victim panels for DUI offenders like some of the volunteers do and I make them feel bad and I tell them that they're terrible and I tell them that they should know the risks that they're taking. I mean, I do do that, but not in a negative way. But I think that when I look at my life, I can see God in the beautiful things that I've been able to be a part of and being able to come and share my story with people and hope that they can listen, hope that they can you know, make better decisions for themselves. Um, sorry. Um, my, best friend, my best friend, Shannon, is another ex example to me of how much God loves me and how much God is present in my life. Um, she's been my best friend pretty much since my mom, since a few months after my mom died. And this last March, um, her dad took his life. And for us to be best friends is insane. For two people who couldn't understand each other more to be as close as we are, shows me how much that God is really present in all of our lives, I think. Um, because a few days after her dad did what he did, um, I was with her at her house. And she just looked at me and she said, you know, I feel like I'm never going to wake up again and be happy. I feel like I'm going to feel sad every single day. And, I, and she was like, and I can look at you and I can see that you're happy and that you've moved on and you've done things with your life. And I can see that that's possible for me. And that moment for me, I can't explain how that felt because it made me see that I'm not only a victim, I'm only not a victim of this situation that I'm in for myself, and I'm not only a victim of the situation I'm in so that other people don't drink and drive, but I'm also not a victim in this situation because I can be hope for other people that you're not gonna be sad every day. And last week was the six months since um, her dad died and she called me and she was so upset because in all of her classes they were talking about suicide because she's a psychology major the day, the six months after and she was just crying and I was just promising her that you know, it's sad now, and your life is never going to be the same as it was before this sad thing happened to you, before this tragic thing happened to you. But what's beautiful is that God will bring a whole new reality into your life if you let him, and he'll make you more beautiful, and he'll take this pain, and he'll make you better, and he'll help you grow. And you might not even be able to see it now, because when I would pray and when I would be so sad that my mom was gone, you know, I didn't automatically the next day wake up and be like, oh, man, this is awesome. I feel better about my life. Um, but I can look back and see how much beauty was brought in and the things that I've been able to do and the things I've been blessed with. And I was just promising her that that's gonna happen for her. And I know that some of you have recently or have, have recently lost people in your lives. Um, I know that there are more of you that know what I'm talking about, this grief and this loss. And I just wanna promise you that it doesn't always feel this way. And later that, later that Thursday, I was in a, last Thursday, I was in a situation where I was just getting my heart broken by one of my really close friends. And I'm in the same place now that my best friend is, not the same, but where you just wake up and you're just so sad. But even I have to remind myself as I was preparing to come talk to you guys that it doesn't last like that forever, and that you don't always have to be sad, and that God does bring new realities, and God does bring beautiful things if you just let him. And even sometimes if you don't let him, because I wasn't always so open to greatness or to anything, um, but it still happens. And I promise all of you that, and I promise my best friend that every day. Every single day I remind her that it's going to be okay and that she's going to be okay. And so I've been really busy kind of creating a new reality for myself. And I'm only telling you guys this not to say, like, everything I've done because, I mean, I haven't really done much, but just to show that, like, you can do things. And as Sarah was saying, I'm a fashion stylist, 
I went to uh, APU, as a specific, and when I first got there, I wanted to do fashion, but quickly I learned that everyone else wanted to like build orphanages in Africa and become doctors to like start ministry teams. And, and we'd go around a class and we'd be like, I want to be Beyonce's stylist. So I started to feel like maybe I should switch things up. So I changed my major to global studies because that felt appropriate and that felt like it could change lives. And it wasn't until one of my friends had asked me to go shopping with her and kind of help her recreate her look that I realized that that's kind of where I'm supposed to be. Because she would text me compliments she'd get every day about how beautiful she felt and things that people would say to her. And I was just like, I'm not the person that's going to go to Africa and build an orphanage. That's a beautiful thing to do. I'm not disgracing that at all. And I, I'm not at all saying that's a bad thing to do. But that's not who I was. And so from that, I was able to intern at The Ellen Show, work for this crazy celebrity stylist. The fashion industry is insane for any of you thinking about it. But I was able to go to Fashion Week because of that in New York City and sit front row with Anna Wintour and Grace Coddington, which if you don't know who they are, you need to because they're pretty big deals. And does anyone know who they are? Okay, I see a few girls' hands and a guy, good, that's good. I'm proud of him. I'm proud of you, dude. <laughs> um, and I was a personal assistant for a TV host, which is also insane. Just the whole Hollywood thing is insane. But I've done it all, and it's been a lot of fun. And I even, this is kind of cool, I even did a commercial for this like fake iPad wannabe thing. I didn't say that in the commercial. Um, it's actually kind of funny, because on set, every, all of us were like, we hate Microsoft, we all want iPads. But I'm actually brought it to show you guys, if you want to see. So. My name is Jocelyn. I'm a fashion blogger and a third-year journalism student. I'm not huge into high fashion. I'm much more into budget shopping and flea markets. But more than anything, I like to give advice on each season. Just kind of like everything around what people need to know to get dressed every day. The nice thing about the East Slate is that it has Windows 7 and I can run all my regular programs on it. It's easy to edit my blog when I'm not connected to the internet. And then I can publish it straight to Blogger from Windows Live Render. On the East Slate, you can use the keyboard with that, or you can use your fingers. And then there's also, with a stylus, you can actually write things out in your own handwriting. I'm cool because I don't have to take around my laptop. I have a little East Slate. <laughs> so that aired in Taiwan, so I hear I'm a big deal there, but I don't know. I need to go check it out. And online. It's actually, I sold, they gave me one of those and I sold it on eBay. And the guy messaged me back and was like, Are you the girl that is in the commercial for it? And I was like, Yeah, it's a great product. You should absolutely be so excited that I'm giving it to you and that I don't want it because I'm going to buy an iPad with that money. <laughs> I was surprised. Let's be real. Let's be real. Mac is way better. <laughs> anyway. Thank you all so much for coming and hearing my story um, and listening. You know, I share my story, like I said, I share my story and hope to help other people, usually help other people not drink and drive and make healthy choices. But today I really hope that any of you that have been through any sort of loss um, can see a little bit of hope in my story um, and can know that, that God does love you and that you're gonna be okay no matter what at the end of the day, you're gonna be okay, even if you don't feel it now. Um, so I just hope that you can remember that. Um, and if anyone wants to come up and talk to me, I'm going to be over here on this section. And I would love for you to say hi. That's kind of my favorite part, because like I said, otherwise, then I don't know if anyone's actually listening. So you guys are dismissed. Thanks.